Hey everyone, please listen to this important message that Henry has to share. Hello, my mama says bad words. So please make sure to wear your earmuffs for this week's episode. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Hey listeners, we are excited to tell you about this amazing brand we just discovered called Dia. Their philosophy is to design clothing for women that want great fashion and proper fit in sizes 14 plus. As you learn to embrace your mom jeans, check out Dia to find denim jeans and a complete outfit for your perfect fit. To help you feel fabulous in your mom bod, Dia is offering our listeners an exclusive savings. To get 30% off, head to dia.com, that's D-I-A.com, and use our code MOMGENES, M-O-M-G-E-N-E-S. You can try the clothes on in the comfort of your own home, keep what you love, and always get free shipping and returns. Finally, a brand that has your mom jeans in mind. Visit dia.com and use code MOMGENES to get 30% off your order. Dia is excited to work with us this season, so head to dia.com and use code MOMJEANS to receive 30% off your next Dia order. Okay, now to our episode. We are in a series called Your Story, where our guests will be sharing the story of healing their relationship with their body. Each person's story is unique to them, and we are humbled by their vulnerability and willingness to join us in this space. As a result, we will not be editing out as many numbers, specific behaviors, or details as we normally would. If anyone's story has details that trigger you due to your healing journey, please press pause and take care of yourself. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. Today we are welcoming mom and advocate Mia O'Malley, who shares her story of a lifetime of dealing with fat phobia and body size stigmas in the medical community and from loved ones. If you know Rachel and I, you know we are passionate about not only helping parents navigate body acceptance for themselves, but also teaching them how to help their children find body acceptance. This sometimes means having to advocate at doctor's appointments or debunk diet culture nutrition advice found out in our mainstream media. We even did an entire bonus episode on the WW app for children called Kerbo back in season one, if you want to get more background on the science behind why diets for children are so dangerous. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is children are growing physically and emotionally, and to interfere with the relationship with their body through external factors of diets, weight manipulation, and natural bodily changes impacts them as they begin to develop negative beliefs about their body and lose body trust. 
Today, you'll hear Mia discuss two pieces of the physical impact of her childhood weight loss journey, and we want to do a brief piece of education on those before she shares her story, because if you know us and if you've listened to our season one series, you know that we love genetics and the science of the human body. So I'm going to throw this to Tina because she is our science guru here. So Tina, can you explain why children should not be put on low or no carb diets? I would love to. So thinking that this is even an option makes me cringe because the bottom line is that our metabolism has two parts to its functionality, catabolism and anabolism. Catabolism is the phase where your body breaks down nutrition and even its own body if it needs to, like fat, for energy. In anabolism, your body is building up and is storing energy for the utilization of growth In a person in homeostasis, both catabolism and anabolism are functioning in equilibrium. In certain phases of our lives, one part of our metabolism is functioning higher than the other. For example, growing children and adolescents, the anabolic metabolism is higher than our catabolic metabolism, and this is to help with growth. For all you mamas, during pregnancy, the anabolic metabolism is higher as well to help grow your baby. Basically, we go through phases, especially those in our prime growing years, where our body needs a little bit extra energy to use towards growth. So what does this have to do with carbohydrates? Well, carbohydrates' main job is energy. It can be stored energy or immediate energy, but really the bottom line is that if you are taking the one nutrient that's main job is energy and removing it during a growth phase, like a growing child, or really during any phase, then what is the body going to use for its energy? Well, itself, meaning that it will begin eating itself, its organs, its fat stores, and stop producing necessary functions to preserve its energy, like hormones, digestive enzymes, nutrients for your bones. And this is so dangerous. Mia also brings up the loss of a menstrual cycle for a child. And in her case, this was blamed on weight gain, not weight loss. And of course, our little antennas went up. So Tina, can you explain why does the loss of a period happen in weight loss and why is it dangerous? Yeah, so this is going to be similar to what I said before. So if the body's in a starved state, which can mean anything from severe malnourishment to not sitting just a few pounds away from its safe weight, the body is going to preserve energy. And in Mia's case, and most often a lot of girls and women's cases, if the body is not at its equilibrium, it will not function like it should. Hormones will be preserved, slowed down in a production, and therefore not run its menstrual cycle. This is the body's way of protecting you. It is saying, you're not healthy enough to have a baby, so I'm going to prevent it from happening. I see this all the time in clients. And the scary part is, is that most healthcare professionals don't know what the cause is because they are not trained on the science of nutrition and how the lack of it can affect the body. And there is research out there that shows us that Just being put on birth control can be extremely detrimental for one's bones because it will force the body to pull nutrition from the bones, especially during adolescence. And during this life phase, this is the most crucial time of bone development. Long story short, if your child is not having their period, the best path to take 
is taking them to a doctor or endocrinologist that understands eating disorders, have their hormones tested to see if their body is producing enough hormone to run their cycle, get a support team of medical professionals, including a dietitian, that understands eating disorders and can assist your child in supporting their body growth so they can have a healthy future. Yeah, and as the therapist, I couldn't help but also want to shift the psychological piece. Because children who are told that there's something wrong with their body are more likely to develop eating disorders, depression, and low self-worth. When social constructs interrupt our body attunement, which happens so frequently, loss of confidence is greatly impacted. Low confidence obviously leads to less risk-taking, adventure-seeking, social connections, and increases depression and anxiety. So instead of protecting children from the overblown, quote-unquote, obesity concerns, we are so passionate about protecting children from social constructs, weight stigmas, poor medical care as a result of fat phobia, and mental health issues. We really hope that hearing Mia's story allows people to see the long-term journey of healing that occurs when children's body trust is interrupted and how painful that is. We also love Mia's story of hope and how her healing actually began when she reached that her quotes, promised land of thinness, I loved that, and realized that it wasn't so idyllic after all, as well as how she turned her story into advocacy for plus-size moms. We really hope that this inspires many of you to learn to love and trust your body at any age, no matter what your childhood experience is. Healing is possible. So yeah, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Mia before we get started. Mia O'Malley is an advocate for plus-size parents on at Mia O'Malley and founder of at plus-size baby wearing on Instagram. She is a certified baby wearing educator, social media consultant, writer, photographer, and a mom. She has been featured on the Plus Mommy podcast, Cup of Joe, Parenting Magazine, Kindy, and The Today Show. She is newly based in Connecticut via Jersey City with her husband, Sean, and two-year-old son, Ivan. Mia views fashion as an advocacy issue for plus-size people and baby-wearing as an advocacy issue for plus-size parents. Let's get to it. All right, well, welcome to this episode, Mia. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So we are going to put you on the spot, and we want to ask you, what is a fun fact about yourself? Breaking the ice here. Um, I used to work for a celebrity news uh, outfit, I guess you call it, a platform. Um, And I used to write, I used to do Real Housewives of New York, New York City recaps. (laughs) (laughs) How funny. And like keeping up with the Kardashian recaps and... um, yeah, that's so, that is definitely fun. Yeah. We could do a whole. Did that make you feel very intelligent after having to watch that? Stuff <laughs> after a while? <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know, proud of my proud of my college education yeah. there. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> awesome. Well, that is definitely fun. Um, so yeah, we are going to jump right in and really ask, what is your story about healing your body? Yeah, so um, it's been a long journey for me. Um, I was I um, I was a fat child, um, and uh, about as you know as far as I can remember, I've always been I've always been a fat person, um, and I never knew that there was anything wrong with my body until I went to school 
and kids told me that there was something wrong with my body. And then later doctors told me there was something wrong with my body when I was very young. And, um, and you know, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with me until somebody told me that there was. And then I also didn't see anybody who had a body like mine who wasn't desperately trying to change their body. So at a really young age, I internalized that there was something wrong with me that I needed to change um, if I wanted to be uh, a good person. You know, like there's a morality to it when you're that, that young and there's even a morality to it now um, as an adult. Um, we moralize size, we moralize food, um, but especially as a child, because you understand kind of two things like good and bad. So I understood at a young age that I was bad because of my body. So, and I just had that reinforced over and over again by the medical community. <laughs> when now looking back on it, I realized that I was a perfectly, perfectly healthy child, um, that, um, that there was really nothing wrong with me at all. I was put on um, my first diet at the age of 10, um, or age of 11, and it was shortly after I had my first period. And um, the doctor said that I needed to lose X amount of weight if I wanted to have my BMI under a certain amount. So I was sent oh to a, nutri a nutritionist who, you know, and this was back in 1990-ish, 95-ish or something, 96-ish. And um, that was when like low, like no carbs, low fat was like key. So I was put on an almost zero carb diet, um, low fat everything, fake sugar everything. Um, the dietitian inside me is screaming. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Um, super low cal. Um, and I remember being like, I remember that I lost a lot of weight. And I remember that sometimes I would binge on an entire loaf of bread secretly because I was so starved of carbohydrates. Like nobody really wants to eat a whole loaf of bread if they're really feeding themselves the right way. But um, yeah, um, so I, anyway, I lost a bunch of weight and uh, I had already had my first period. And all of a sudden after I lost a bunch of weight, I didn't have my period anymore. It was gone. And so my grandmother, who was like a registered nurse, and my mom, and um, they took me to Boston Children's Hospital to like two of the most renowned pediatric endocrinologists to take a look at why I wasn't having my period. And the advice that those two endocrinologists, like two of them saw me, gave me was, um, you need to lose more weight if you want to get your period back. <laughs> so and that just you know, led me on a whole journey of, you know, you know, I thought to myself, okay, I've lost all of this weight and it's still not enough. And there's still something wrong with me. And it was almost like a confirmation that this is like a failure of my body that, um, you know, that I need to keep e either losing weight in order to fix this, or maybe I should just give up altogether because, I've already worked so hard and sacrificed so much and now I need to lose more weight and I'll just never, I'll never get to be good, you know? 
And so that continued like a lot of, you know, extreme dieting throughout my entire adolescent and into college. Um, and um, I had doctors who put me on fentermine, um, which was like totally messed up my whole college experience, my relationship. Um, just, I think, just destroyed my metabolism. Um, I think definitely negatively affected my mental health. Um, well, and, it's speed. Yeah, you know what speed. I mean? Like, it's, you're giving a child speed. It's a to, drug. Uh, yeah, it's a very serious drug. Um, God. Definitely Which lost, is banned. Lost PS, on yeah. that. I mean, I've just done, I've done it all. Um, and uh, this all kind of led up to... Um, you know, just like a lot of weight cycling throughout my life at a very young age, started that weight cycling um, and always had problems, you know, getting my period. Um, and then they just put me on um, birth control and <laughs> just cover that up with the birth control pill. And then um, anyway, this all leads up to my beautiful, gorgeous wedding that I had planned um, with my husband. It was just like the most perfect wedding. Uh, it was Valentine's Day. There was like a light snow on the ground. There was, um, you know, candlelight and roses inside this hall. And, you know, it was just, it was just a beautiful moment. Like we had wonderful, like all of our all the people who loved us were there. My husband was so excited um, and I really wasn't happy. And the reason I wasn't happy was because I, for my wedding, had gotten to probably one of the lowest weights in my life. And, you know, I had all of this, like, you look amazing, you look great. Um, but all I could see, even though I had gotten to where I wanted to be, all I could see was uh, the outline of my lower belly in my dress. I could see my arms that were, you know, just too big in my mind. And I was just unhappy. I felt like I had not done enough. I should have done more. I should have lost more weight. Um, and all of this, like this extreme disordered eating that I had, you know, leading up to my wedding, um, just put me in this horrible headspace mentally um, because, you know, I was almost like starving myself, like extreme caloric restriction, over-exercising, you know, not enjoying my life. And then it led to me just kind of, I look back on those photos and everything's just so wonderful. And I remember being so unhappy. And when I got to see those photos later after my wedding, I said, you know, extreme dieting, this, this, loathing of my body has has gotten in the way and stolen so many moments of my life that I should have been able to enjoy but I couldn't because I felt like I wasn't in the body I was supposed to be in at the time that I was experiencing those moments and I said to myself I'm like I'm at the time I was 30 I said you know I'm getting emotional just thinking about it but I said to myself I'm like I'm not gonna spend my 30s, um, like allowing myself not to enjoy my life or allowing um, these thoughts and feelings towards my body to disrupt these great moments that I'm having and these great milestones. Um, and it was sort of having to hit that 
like that rock bottom there that um that helped me try to find a different path and for me that it didn't start really with my body it started um in my mind which i guess makes sense right it didn't start with a new diet it didn't start with a new exercise um it didn't start with immediately being like i love myself and that's it you know it didn't it can't start like that it started at the bottom of a very very big hill and the first step i took in that was um you know i was struggling in my mental health and i was i was struggling with you know these just the self-loathing due to the feelings i had towards my body but so i i had started doing meditation and i um i got I became aware of a woman named Tara Brock and she wrote a book called Radical Acceptance and Radical Acceptance, um, you know, it's in, I think the sub subtitle is like embracing your life with the heart of the Buddha or something like that. Um, it is actually, it's, it's such a wonder, such a wonderful book. Um, but sort of the, the the basic the the very important thing I got out of that book was that nothing good can come from hating something or um, actively rejecting something. It's like even in thoughts when you meditate, like you know, in her practice, you know, you're supposed to welcome the thoughts, like annoying thoughts or or um, scary thoughts or anxious thoughts can come, and then you, you welcome them and you send them away. Um, and so it's kind of like part of that philosophy is like really nothing good comes from hating or rejecting something outright. Um, and so looking at myself in a, in a kinder way, accepting the th certain things about myself, not just about my body, but changing my internal di dialogue to be kinder to myself, um, to accept, you know, certain choices I've made to, um, you know, just to changing that internal dialogue that comes from, you know, just being really hard on yourself and these, these thoughts that these stories that you tell yourself that are so tough sometimes, especially I know, I'm, I know moms feel this way all the time, but these stories are not real. <laughs> Somebody somehow got them into our head and, um, we cannot, gain anything beneficial from hating ourselves and that includes our bodies and hating parts of ourselves so that sort of that was the big mind shift and her book can tell it way better than I can but that was part of it um, another part of it was taking back my fertility and I started um, doing a lot of research on how to regulate my periods on my own and so this didn't have anything to do with weight loss but um, it kind of did because it had a lot to do with nutrition and I started reading about how important healthy fats are to um, uh, to regulating your ovulation and I was able to in a period of time regulate my own period for the first time in my life through diet um, through nutrition and um, and that sort of changed the way that I was thinking about eating and changed the way I was thinking about exercise for the first time in my life. I wasn't eating to uh, punish myself. Um, my, I wasn't exercising to punish myself and I wasn't 
eating to restrict myself. I was eating to actually heal my body and um, experiment and see what things actually felt good and what things didn't. And that was the first time in, you know, 30 years I had ever um, thought of food that way and never thought of exercise that way. It sounds like you were actually eating with body attunement and that is... Yeah. Means you're actually being intuitive with yourself. That's great. Yeah. 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 And it wasn't, it was to be good to myself. Yeah. Kind. Yeah. Kind to yourself. With Mm -hmm. a different intention. Um, And I don't think I would have got there had it not been through that book, um, Radical Acceptance, because I spent so much of my life thinking that health was equated with my weight because I was told that at a very young age that because of my weight, even though I had no other health concerns, because of my weight, I was not healthy. So I had to change the way I thought about health and the way I thought about taking care of my body. So then I got pregnant (laughs) because um, I regulated my ovulation. (laughs) And um, yeah, and so that took me on another that took me on another path, um, like up that hill, up that big hill. That was a big push up that back hill because being pregnant was the first time that I truly wanted, I really, really wanted to be super good to my body, like in so many different ways. And um, the, lo- the, the acceptance that I felt turned into love because I loved my baby and I loved my body that was carrying my baby. So there was like a huge connection. I felt more connected to my body than I had in so long. I think a lot of fat people, especially those of us who have been fat since we're a child, um, we, we do a lot of like disconnect from our body, like, cause our body is like in this state of like purgatory or like change, like, right. We're like, we're not a fat person. We're a person that's on their weight loss journey, right? We're not actually connected with the body that we have now. So there's a lot of like dysmorphia and disconnection that happens um, uh, with that. And so for pregnancy, for me, put me super in touch with my body. I want to comment on the fact of like, if you're... So people, I want to comment so people and listeners can hear what you had shared, where... As a kid, you identified without even knowing it. Okay, fine. I'm a fat kid. There's nothing wrong with that, right? And it wasn't until people said, there's something wrong with that. You need to change it. That then you shifted your mentality to then to start to hate yourself, which is just terrible. And I want to point out that in puberty your body is likely going to change on average anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds. That is normal. That is so normal. So we already have a kid that is fat, now is going to gain more weight, not because there's something wrong, but because that, what, that is what their body is supposed to do. And that's natural. That's what your body needed to have that cycle. Your body needed to have more fat to hold your menstruation. And so it made sense why later in life, until you got to the point of going, I need to eat to nourish my body. I need to be at a weight 
that my body wants to be, which might mean more fat, my ovulation is not going to be normal and I'm not going to be able to bear a child, right? I hope that parents listening can understand that if your kid is sitting in a body that is bigger, that is okay. That is normal for their body. And even the most prestigious endocrinologist may give the worst advice possible. Let's not continue down that legacy. Let's shift it so this kid can live down a path that doesn't have to be torturous weight loss. Just let them live in a body that's normal for them. Now that in and of itself is a gnarly road because society is just crappy and fat phobic and doctors are fat phobic and it's it's a massive paradigm shift that needs to happen i appreciate you sharing that part and being so vulnerable i see you um, getting emotional as tina's talking what's coming I up for know. you um i think it's just hard for me i think as a mother we we look to our like inner child right or we like look back at our past and i just <laughs> i think it's just hard for me to I just wish that so I wish that they had left me alone. So it's hard for me as a mom now. Like I am extra sensitive to it now as a mom because I see my son and um, I see how much, you know, wisdom they have in terms of their own eating. And um, and I was never really given that opportunity. Um I was never really given the opportunity to um, to experience what my real appetite was, like what my real hunger cues were. Um, I never, I never had that chance to, like, even now, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I really will. It's still, it's still, it's been so, it's been so interfered with um, at this point. But it's really nice to see my son um even though frustrating because he's uh, doesn't really like to eat that much but <laughs> that's how what, old's your child he's two yeah girl you it's normal <laughs> yeah wait till he's six yeah but it'll be fine I, yeah. you know i it's a hard it's it's hard but i think the lo- the lessons i learned when i was a kid um really helped guide me because and and why like you know Kurt Weight Weight Watchers came out with Kerbo, and I was very don't get us started released and just I have memories of going to Weight Watchers with my mom and just that being a regular thing and I just think it's so detrimental and I'm just I'm just so vocal about leaving kids alone and I love I love the account feeding littles I'm sure you guys know about it and yeah love their tenants so um but you know things have gotten a lot better but I think they they still have a long way to go long way to go yeah well I hear you saying I wish I'd given I wish I had been given the opportunity to trust my body because I think medical community and doctors are the quote-unquote experts and the professionals and so we trust them and we do what they say and you had obviously had a bad experience with that as so many people do in this area and how what a gift it would have been for medical community and doctors to say you know what we trust you and we trust your family and trust your body and what does that look like and 
and you never had that and look at the long road it took of until you gave yourself permission to then trust your body again. Yeah, it, it took, it's a fight worth fighting though. You know, it's a journey worth taking. Um, it's not an easy one, but I'm really, I'm happy to be doing the work than to be where I was at, you know, at my lowest weight. I would, I am much, you know, through pregnancy and through postpartum, um, those were some of the best, like post, those are some of the best times of my life, like the happiest times of my life. And they weren't in the smallest body. They were in the, they were in a bigger body and they're some of the greatest, most wonderful times because, because of that journey, I'm like, I'm able to understand my, my worth. I, I have a husband who loves me. I have a, my beautiful son. I have a, a career that I'm happy. I'm really happy with. Um, I'm able to really enjoy those things because I was able to separate my weight from my worth. Um, but it, it's a, it's a long road. It's a long road. Just to instill this in you and as a dietitian that works with many individuals, many parents and um, individuals that have gone through kind of that dieting journey and are trying to truly overcome that last hurdle, um, which is different for everybody. But I feel like in your case, you're saying, I don't, I still don't feel fully connected in specific ways to my body, whether that's through really trusting my hunger fullness or still having some of that like diet mentality that's lingering because it's been instilled in me since five or whatever ridiculousness that is. Um, it is fully possible to overcome that last hurdle. It just takes time because I think in your case specifically, you're saying this information has been drilled into me since a young kid. And so for you've been instilled with that longer than you have not. And so it's going to take a little bit of time for your body to trust you. We think of it in the sense of like, well, I don't necessarily trust my body. Well, flip it around, girlfriend. Your body doesn't trust you. And so you and you, you and you and your body need to be in a better relationship. And that just takes time. Trust takes time to build. So I want to instill that hope in you that like, don't give up. Don't just accept that this is how it is. You can actually get to that end result, which is, full trust and most often it is because people have had kids and see how beautiful it is that these little individuals can intuitively eat and be confident in their body and so we inhale and absorb a lot of that so that's yeah. wonderful yeah. thank you for that of course I'm like I'm not gonna forget about that part we have to circle that's back so around. beautiful yeah I <laughs> Yeah, I haven't really thought about it like that in that way, in a hopeful way like that, that I am still on this journey. Like, I am still on this journey in terms of my, like, my hunger and my, the way I feed myself and stuff like that. Um, like, like, what's beyond just not dieting? Like, what lies beyond that? Um, that's exciting. Yeah, what's beyond not dieting and beyond loving your body? You're saying, well, I got to a place where I actually could love my body and not have to diet anymore, which is awesome. But now it's like you can love your body 
and you can also fully trust it. So maybe it's that last part, which is like fully without doubt trusting my body. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, I where I really got to um, got tested on this journey and uh, this journey of trust was in my postpartum. So yeah, so pregnancy for me was was very transformative in the sense that I was able to care for my body in a way that even, you know, it kind of upped the ante in terms of me eating with love, moving my body with love because I loved my my baby and my baby was in my body and it, it reconnected me with my body in a way that I had kind of been disconnected for quite a while. That being said, um, it also brought to light um, a whole different weight bias, weight discrimination culture in the medical community that I had not been aware of and should have expected. Um, But fortunately for me, I came in contact with Plus Mommy, Jen McClellan of Plus Mommy and Plus Size Birth. And I got her Plus Size Pregnancy Guide. I devoured it, devoured all of her resources, was able to connect with a size-friendly care provider knew what to like knew what I might face you know knew what biases I might face um and I was able to you know protect myself and 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 steal myself for that I knew I wanted I knew I had certain goals um for both my pregnancy and birth I did not want to be shamed about my weight I did not want to be lectured about uh, eating habits. I did not want any interventions. I didn't want anyone that was going to qualify me as high risk based solely on my BMI alone, which is not evidence-based. Um, I didn't want anyone who was going to tell me immediately that I needed to have a cesarean section without knowing anything about my health or my pregnancy. Um, I didn't need anyone who was going to assume that I was going to have gestational diabetes, assume that I was going to have preeclampsia, assume, 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 and scare the bejesus out of me, which is already scary to be pregnant. So I knew I was ready to encounter all that. I, fortunately enough, had a doctor that was not like that um, and found a great practice. Shout out to Womb Keepers in Montclair, New Jersey. They're amazing. Um, But but it opened my eyes to sort of a whole um, a whole treatment and a whole disparity in care um, that's happening with other moms who are plus size. Because as soon as I was pregnant, I craved community. And um, I craved being connected to other people who are pregnant. I think a lot some moms feel that way, some moms don't. But um, I really craved that. And I didn't see anybody who looked like me who was pregnant. And it was very isolating. It was very isolating. All of motherhood visuals, marketing media is all um, straight-sized people. There's not a lot of large-body people represented. If we are represented, it's in the context of health risks and risky pregnancies and things like that. So there's not a lot of positive imagery. There's not a lot of imagery, period. Um, I didn't know a single person who had my body type who was pregnant or who had been pregnant. Um, I couldn't find a, like the only celebrity I could think of was Tess Holiday, And luckily enough, Jen was on her page and that's how I got connected to her resources. But there's this dearth of imagery of, of community. And so I sought that out so much. And then it opened my eyes to the way people 
are treated so differently based simply on what doctor they have and the way that that doctor handles their weight not actually have anything to do with their health has to do with how that doctor feels about their body and um that opened my eyes to a whole level of sort of that this is way bigger than me and me just accepting my body that there's a problem here and that I was going to be vocal about it um and you know that kind of started my whole um advocacy for plus size moms and plus size pregnancy but again I know I know from talking to people and I talk to people I talk to mom pregnant moms plus size pregnant moms on a daily basis um and um plus size moms and um i interact with them on a daily basis and i know all the different stories i know moms who have been told or i, I know women who are who were ttc who were told to freeze their eggs and go get um, weight loss surgery i know women who have waited for years and years and years to have a baby um, and constantly be told to lose 80 pounds 100 pounds before they lose a before they before they um can conceive um, or like won't help them in any other way until they lose weight. And then I, I talk to moms who see the right doctor, change the doctor, go to a different place, and they're pregnant in a year, or they have, you know, the most amazing VBAC, or there's just this huge, um, there, there's women who are being mistreated, and it's having um, tremendous impact on not only their fertility, but how they enjoy their pregnancy, their mental health and their pregnancy and what their birth is like, and then their connection with their child. Um, and so it opened my eyes to a lot of these issues. Um, and so at that point I started speaking out um, and doing the advocacy work that I do on my page um, daily. Um, and it's something I'm just very passionate about. Totally. I think it's, it's an important piece to bring up where if you think about, I'll come from like even Rachel and I as people that work with individuals every day, well, hopefully not every day, we have days off, but <laughs> our beliefs can be filtered into our work. And it's important that the work that you're doing, you're checking whether those beliefs are appropriate to be infiltrated into what you're doing. So example is, you know, you're saying these doctors, it's going to depend on whether you're scheduling an appointment with a weight-centric doctor that's going to blame everything on our bodies or a weight-inclusive doctor that actually looks at your health from the inside, right? And so... I think it's really important for individuals to make sure that they are having an appointment with a professional that shares the same belief systems. If you're on a journey that you want your body to be focused on, well, that's your right to book a session with a practitioner that's going to guide you down that road. That's not for me to determine for you there is a different way and it's likely going to lead to cycling, but it is your right. And for those that don't want that, there are professionals that actually look at your health through science and have jumped off the diet train and weight loss train and are actually treating individuals 
based off their true health, which is amazing. But we have a long road to go there. Long, long road. Um, yeah, long, long road. And I, I just feel like, you know, happy mom, happy baby. If you're sparing a pregnant mom, if, if a, pre- a mom comes in to see you and she is so happy to be pregnant, she's been waiting a while to be pregnant, she's so happy, so excited for her first appointment. And the doctor tells her, you know, at your weight, you're probably going to have, you could have a miscarriage. You're more likely to have a stillbirth. You are more likely to have all these risks. How does that set them up? What data shows likely will be a perfectly healthy pregnancy. Right. Let's be positive here. But that woman has to carry that information with her. Yeah, because that doctor was fat phobic. Yeah. Yeah. And what good does that do? I would like, I would like to know what good does that do? In my mind, I think about these individuals that are either trying to get pregnant that are living in bigger bodies or are already pregnant in those early stages are fed that information and then diet. It's like the worst thing that you could possibly do for your body, which is deprive it, decrease nutrition to then try to have you grow a baby. That's the worst case scenario. Leave your body alone. Let it do its thing. We don't actually control growing that baby. Our body does it without us fiddling with it. So any sort of weight change is not likely going to be the positive in that journey. I think, too, so many medical doctors, the medical community, you're right, pull out these numbers and say, like, look at the evidence and look at the science. And one of my favorite quotes is lived experience is evidence, too. You know, like lived experience of, well, actually, based on my my life and my history, this is actually the best evidence for me and what constitutes health for me and my body. And I have this experience and I have this history and I'm I can trust how my body operates because I'm the one who knows my body. And I think so many doctors don't ask the patients, hey, based on your relationship with your body and based on your history, like, how does it feel or what what does work for you? And and have some of those collaboration conversations. I, that's such a good point. That's such a good point. I, I think also, um, you know, the thing that I always try to reiterate is, too, is that there are increased risks. Um for having a BMI when you are um, when you are pregnant, or for having a higher BMI when you're pregnant, but they, those are relatively increased risks. The actual risks themselves are quite low. Um, so you're talking about an you know an increase of a small risk, um, but that's not how it's advertised. That's not how it's it's given to pregnant women, and it they scare them and you need to not scare pregnant women. It's need to- blown out of proportion, right? Yeah, yeah. Proportion. it's, it's, it's fear-based and not evidence-based. And like, this is what I, this is what I say. It's like, if, if this is what you're encountering at your doctor's office, at your care provider's office, you need to run for your life to someone else. Like choosing your doctor, choosing your care provider in pregnancy is the most important um, the most important choice you will make as a parent, as a new parent. It's your first most important choice. 
And especially if you are plus size, because we have a 50% increased risk of cesarean section. Um, and that's not all evidence-based. That's not why. <laughs> that's not why. That's because that has a ton to do with a medical weight bias. And so it is like the big, it is the biggest choice you can make and the most important choice you can make and do everything you can to find care that will be supportive of your body. And um, if you can't do that, try, if you can, to get a doula and, or have an advocate with you when you are giving birth. Um, so for those that don't have that financial privilege to be able to do that, because I, mo- I don't think doulas are uncovered by insurance, or if you don't have insurance and you're like, I am literally stuck with the doctor that I am given with, you know, I have to go to this one person. Laura Thomas, who does the podcast Don't Salt My Game, which I absolutely love, has actually created this card to take to your doctor. And that we'll link it in the show notes. But this card is, it basically says, don't treat me from a weight-centric angle. I am not here to focus on weight. I am engaging in intuitive eating and body attunement. If you do not feel like you're able to do that, please refer me to somebody else. And also, here are five research studies that show why either weight cycling is detrimental or health at every size is ultimately leading towards a more inclusive and well-based treatment. So we can link that, yeah, for sure. Because I think it's great. It's like, yes, we can be selective, but there is also so much privilege in that. And there are individuals that can't and are just being shoved into this one doctor that is spitting diet and weight bias crap at them. And there is hope for you as well. The other thing that I would tell people too, I, that I tell people is um, you can have a conversation with your doctor. And if, even if they are size friendly, they might continue to bring up weight every, every appointment that you have with them. And you can tell them, I don't want to talk about my weight anymore. Thank you for, you know, thank you for your advice on this. I don't want to talk about weight in any subsequent appointments. Um, that's your right to, to do. And most doctors will respect that if you say that. And you can say that. You're an adult and you can say that to them. And if you can't say that to them, bring your partner and let your partner advocate for you. Let, let your partner say it. Because some people, some, sometimes people feel shy um, or don't feel like they have a voice in a doctor's room. And I, I find having a supportive partner, if it's your sister, if you're, if it's your partner, um, whoever it might be, just somebody who can use their voice and say that for you. That's also a great way to kind of take back your power, um, and shift the conversation where you, you want it to go, um, and where you need it to go. We've shared a few resources. What are some of the other key resources that have helped you heal your relationship with your body or that you're really passionate about sharing? Sure. So uh, really quickly, I know we've gone in a lot of directions, but um, baby wearing was a super powerful tool for me to reconnect with um, my body um, in postpartum. In postpartum, I did not um, experience the uh, breastfeeding weight loss phenomenon that or a rumor that is spread. Um, I actually gained weight in postpartum, which is incredibly common, but not talked about at all. Um, 
so uh, anyway, I had a new body to connect with, a, a new postpartum body that was larger than the one I was in when I was pregnant. Um, baby wearing was a phenomenal tool just in terms of, you know, you know, practical, like making motherhood and parenthood easier for me. Um, and, you know, having my cluster feeder, getting my cluster feeder out of the house, but it also helped reconnect me with my body and made me feel more confident in this new body because um, I was still, it was still about my baby on my body. And um, so there's something, um, so anyway, I got very involved in baby wearing and I saw it when I was baby wearing, I saw that um, there weren't a lot of bodies that looked like mine in tutorials and things like that. And then I realized that there, there are tons of carriers with plus size options, but nobody knows, like a lot of people don't know. A lot of plus size people reach out to me and say, I didn't even know I could baby wear, I didn't think anything would fit me. And the reason that they feel like that is because there's no marketing done for baby wearing in larger bodies. And that's indicative of a larger lack of larger bodies in parenthood and motherhood spaces. So that's what caused me to, um, led me to found Plus Size Baby Wearing on Instagram, which created a nice little community and um, I'm very proud of the work we do there and led me to become a baby wearing educator. But I hear so much body acceptance and body positivity come out of the baby wearing sphere for postpartum moms because I, I I hear echoed time and time again, like I wore my baby, I was out by the pool, I wore her like a badge of honor, I wore her with a bikini, I wore her um, up a hike, I wore her, you know, all these different situations in which your body is actually functionally supporting your baby. Um, and it might be a new body might look different, but it's still super functional and you know, supporting someone and, um, and it really helped, it helps a lot of um, parents like step into their power. And so I just want to talk a little bit about that because that was like a huge part of me accepting my postpartum body, which actually was larger than um, I was before. And a lot of, a lot of people experience that. I love how your healing journey has led to finding solutions to some of the broken systems. I love the advocacy work that you have really made as your own because that also brings back so much power to your story when most of your story was how power, the power of you trusting your body was taken from you. And so I love how you have kind of turned it on its head and said, you know, what? I'm taking the power back and I'm also now going to spread this knowledge. Yeah, it's been, it's been a real, it's a real gift for me to connect uh, parents, um, especially parents who are in larger bodies, to connect um, connect them with baby wearing and give them the, give them those tools and you know ensure that you know there are carriers for them and that their body is not something that they should fear. Um, that there's a lot of there's a lot of this messaging that is rooted in fat phobia that mom's body will somehow hurt baby and. Um, this is the fear in pregnancy and this is the fear I hear in sometimes in baby wearing a well, my body's so big, will it hurt baby? And like your body is, is, you know, uniquely made to support your baby and your baby is uniquely made to, to, you know, benefit from your body. So your body is super special. And um, yeah. And so this is sort of me and everyone else are kind of taking the power back. Like you said, so I know you had said feeding littles, 
Jen at Plus Size Mommy. And then what are the resources for the baby wearing account for that? Yeah, at Plus Size Baby Wearing. Oh, at Plus Size Baby Wearing. Okay. Well, I love I love that ending. I love that empowerment quote you just gave everyone. That's so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing your story and and doing the work you're doing to change the systems. So helpful. Yes, thank you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate I appreciate the time to be able to tell my story. Thanks. We hope you felt inspired and moved by this week's story. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at Mom Jeans the podcast for details on the episode and to find our guest's information. If you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review us on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. We are sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.